The AAPA conference is coming up May 18th through 22nd in Houston. I'm so sad that I will not be there, but some of my favorite people will be. So I want to make sure that y'all know who to look out for. So if you're heading down to the conference, make sure you go by the Blueprint and Rosh Review table. They're giving away all kinds of stuff stethoscopes, seats in the review course. They're talking about how Rosh Review has joined Blueprint and what that looks like. But definitely go stop by, say hi, get some swag, tell them I said hello, uh, and it'll be a really good time. I'm sure y'all will have an awesome time in Houston. Make sure you go to Torchy's Tacos, my absolute favorite, and spend some time in the exhibit hall exploring we know that I love Rosh Review um, by Blueprint, and they have so many great resources. So whether you're looking for QBanks, pants review courses, now is the time. And usually there's some special stuff, so go check it out. Hey, y'all. This is a part two of hearing from Brian Palm, Nocturnal ERPA, and all about his awesome job. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. I want to thank My PA Resource and PA School Prep for sponsoring the Pre-PA Club podcast. So My PA Resource is a personal statement editing service that edits only PA school essays, only edited by PAs, and most of us have admissions experience, so I am one of the editors. Definitely check them out if you need help with your content, grammar, flow, making sure that you are on track for turning in your application. And you can use the code FUTUREPA for a discount on any of their service options. PA School Prep is an online course that focuses on the anatomy, physiology, and med terms that you'll need for PA school to make sure you feel confident going into that first semester and that you are able to handle what PA school throws at you. So check that out at paschoolprep.com and also use the code FUTUREPA for a discount there. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Pre-PA Club podcast. I'm so excited to have you here, whether you are thinking about maybe becoming a PA, for sure that's what you want to do in PA school or a graduate PA. This is a great community and I think everyone in it is so awesome and supportive of each other. So my goal here is just to spread more knowledge about the PA profession and help kind of shed some light on what it looks like in the real world. So that's what we're doing today with my friend Brian Palm. He's the creator of My PA Resource and PA School Prep, and he's an ERPA who works at nights and um, or on nights, night shift. I don't know, but he's awesome. A really great friend. Part one of this um, was posted back in October of 2020. So if you missed part one, you may want to go back and listen to that half before jumping in. Um, or if you're new here or just want to hear this one, hey, feel free to stick around. So we'll jump into today's interview. And I just wanted to remind you guys, so check out the paplatform.com if you are looking for anything to do with pre-PA stuff. We have the PA program map, which has all of the PA schools in the United States listed with their contact information and links. Um, so that's a great resource to kind of start figuring out where you might want to apply and then we also have the personal statement two-week free inter interview email course, sorry, 
um, where you are able to essentially get a draft of your personal statement written in the first two weeks or in two weeks. So that's if you go to the paplatform.com slash personal statement and um, I'd love to help you get started. So if there's ever anything else we can do for you or help you with, please feel free to reach out and let me know. And otherwise, let's jump into our interview with Brian. Oh, and if you need help with a mock interview, which we are still doing, still interview season right now, um, or anything else, an assessment if you're trying to figure out where you're at and things, um, and what you may need to work on, you can use the code FUTUREPA for a discount on any service or product, including the PA School Interview Guide from the PA platform. All right, now we'll jump in to hearing from Brian. I'm going to, can I look at our sheet and I'm just going to like rapid fire some of these? Well, yeah. And I, so a lot of the questions I'm seeing, okay, there's like two that keep coming up, but one is like, and I think this is important because we're talking about like being a PA, but like your autonomy level, your independence level, yeah. are you happy with it? What does that look like? What is your relationship with the doctors look like? Is there a doctor there? Yeah. So there's always a doctor with me. Okay. Um, and that, and typically with PAs, there will be, unless you're, so a guy that I, graduated with he went to go work on like an indian reservation out in or native american reservation out in um like arizona or new mexico or something and he was the only provider for like 50 miles or something crazy like wow. that it was a pa he worked in the er he was it for like 50 miles it was insane um so like but typically in a normal uh, normal hospital that doesn't make sense uh like in your typical er um you you usually won't be the only provider around so like my autonomy here where i work now again is different than where than uh at the old place and so um for lower acuity patients like lacerations like low complexity lacerations and ankle sprains and stuff doctors typically aren't involved unless i have a question about an x-ray or i ask them like hey, would you mind seeing this patient just because I'm not sure what's going on uh, for lower acuity patients, for anything. Um, so patients, when you come to the ED, are determined in acuity level from five being the lowest acuity to one which is like dying and or close to dying. Um, so for five and fours, typically the doctor doesn't have to be involved. For level three patients, which is your, you know, generally middle of the road, abdominal pains, cough and fever, um, uh, like edema, which is like uh, swelling in your extremities. That's like not very common, but um, those are more like middle of the road level threes. Level twos are like chest pains, shortness of breath, stroke symptoms, and level ones are pretty much reserved for either traumas or coding patients. So, um, so anyway, so on level five and fours, doctors typically aren't involved unless I ask them to be. And then for everybody else, they are. Um, they see every every other one of my patients, um, which is what I want. Um, I, at the other facility, like they kind of determined certain, um, certain cases where they want, they were required to be involved, but otherwise like you could discharge or you could take care of the patients on your own and just kind of ask them for help if you needed it. Um, and some of the PAs that I work with like, um, like that model where they have more freedom for sicker patients. Um, and like me, I'm fine with either. I prefer that the docs see more of my patients than not. Um, and I think that it's more of an efficient way when they see my patients anyway, because it's, it's, it's efficient. It's efficient. And it's, I think, you know, good for patient care too. I'm not saying that like not being seen by a doctor is not good, but, 
I think a lot of people now even, they see a PA and they still want to see a doctor if they come to the ER, especially like the older generation of patients. Um, you know, I, I, I don't look at myself as a solo provider, um, as a PA, like I am independent. Like I feel comfortable with my autonomy. I still do my own workups. And if the doctor wants to add something to them, they can, you know, like they, I, but I have the freedom of kind of determining what path uh, of the workup to go down. And that's kind of what I want. Um, but that's not for everybody. Like a lot of people want independent practice and don't want to have to, you know, have a collaborating or supervising physician, um, you know, over their shoulder all the time, which again, it's different. Every facility, like some, some places are, are going to be, you know, breathing down your neck. Your, your doctor that you're working under is going to be breathing down your neck, uh, about every workup that you, that you order. But like with me, um, it's not like that. Like I still have autonomy. Um, but the doctors do, you know, still see my patients, which is again fine with me. I'm happy with the um, the relationship and the structure that we have at that at the hospital where I'm at now. So, okay, um, okay, I've highlighted some. Uh, okay, I have some rapid fire yes or no questions to throw okay. at you. So this will knock them out. Cool. Um, if you could do it all over again, would you be a PA again? One hundred percent. Yes. Okay. Um, We'll come to that one last I don't week. know. And let me just, let me, can I just, I know it's rapid fire. I don't know anybody that wouldn't be a PA again. Like I, there are people that are like, I've heard of that want to, that are like, Oh, I should have just gone to medical school. But by and large, I don't know anybody that I have talked to. That's like, man, I wish I didn't become a PA for what that's worth. Like it's a long road. It's hard, but you know, I don't know. I would yeah. do it again. Absolutely. I agree. Um, do you have scribes? Yes. So for some of the shifts we use scribes, I don't use a scribe. Um, I don't, I'm not afforded that opportunity to use okay. a scribe. Um, would you ever go but to I would. what? But I would if I, I would use one if I could. Yeah. Okay. Would you ever go to days? Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, just it, but for right now it works. I've got two young kids and it just kind of works right now. So yes, I would, but for now nights is better. I hope that's not my boss asking me. But <laughs> I hope that's not my boss asking me that. Trying to. I doubt it. Um, has COVID made you rethink if being in healthcare was still for you? No, um, it's made me like disappointed. <laughs> Sounds silly. Um, disappointed that like this is such a problem. Um, I don't regret going into healthcare and like putting myself at risk or like working on the front lines, being a frontline healthcare worker, Savannah. Um, but um, but no, it's it's another challenge that we have. Like, but even if coronavirus wasn't here, right? Like, if coronavirus didn't exist, we would have something else that would pop up and like cause another mess like this too. Like, I think personally to get deep in the coronavirus, this is going to be something that like is with us forever, like mm -hmm. or at least the foreseeable future, like just like flu season, like every year, it's just like, Oh, we got flu season, you know, here in like five years, it's gonna be like, Oh, I got the Corona, you know, probably I would imagine. Oh, it's like the back to work and all that. Who knows? But, um, yes. Yeah. All right. But no, I, I don't regret it. What? I don't regret oh, okay. like healthcare or whatever. Okay. Do you have your TCLS? Uh, no, I don't know what that is. Maybe ACLS? No, ACLS. Yeah, I have ACLS. Yeah. I don't know if that was what they're asking or not. Um, do you participate in codes? 
Um, yes. So I don't run them. Um, my involvement in codes, I kind of like my involvement in codes. So like I help, uh, I help with compressions. I help bag if needed. Um, but during codes, what I focus on is because, so during the night shift, if there's a code that happens at night, typically it's just me and one other doctor. Everybody else is at home. Um, and so if a code comes in, the doctor's running it. What I do in codes is before the code comes in, if we have that luxury, we have a warning. Um, I will talk to the doc and be like, hey, tell me what you need to get done during this code that I can help kind of expedite things along. And like, so we can still take care of patients that aren't involved in the code. So like people aren't just like sitting around wondering well, what the hell's going on, you know what I mean? Like I wanna help, I try to help facilitate flow in the ER during the code. So like, can I be involved in the code? Yeah, sure, like I could, you know, I've intubated before too, you know, it just depends on how involved I want to be. Some places will not allow you to be in codes, period. They require you to have all the ACLS stuff, but they won't let you be in a code. You know, in the middle of the, oh God, knock on, I'm not, I'm not even, I haven't even said it yet, but I'll knock on wood. But like, if two codes come in, <laughs> you know, like it's just me and the doc. So, um, but no, usually in codes, thank goodness, because we're a smaller hospital, usually it's just one code going on at a time. Um, I try to help facilitate the flow outside and that's what, that's what I want. Like, that's what I want to do. I want to like help people and like give them the care that they need. Um, again, and like if I can do that while the doc is on a code doing something else, while they're preoccupied doing something else, then I'll do it. Okay. Um, I forgot what I was going to ask you. Oh, people want to know about aggressive and violent patients, if you have had them. Oh, yeah, sure. So I had this guy. If you've been assaulted. I've been verbally, I get verbally assaulted weekly. Um, but no, physically assaulted. I don't think I've been physically assaulted, at least nothing that like, I don't have any scars. Um, it was a few weeks ago, this guy came in. He like, he had been to the ER before. Um, he had a mental illness and he was known for being aggressive and so he came in and they uh he was placed under the care of the hospital they were transferring him to a psych a psychiatric facility and in route to the psych facility they like brought him back because he was complaining of something or he was too aggressive so they brought him back to the hospital after he had already been discharged and transferred over they're like we can't take him here because he needs to be you know medically not I guess sedated, um, medically restrained before uh, we can bring him over there just because he's the EMS workers were feeling at risk. Um, and uh, so I saw him when he got back and because they brought him back, he thought that he was going to go home, you know, instead of going to the psych facility where he didn't want to go. And so I had to deliver the news like, you know, I got everybody out of the room. I closed the curtain. The door was open, but we have curtains behind the doors or, you know, to kind of block so the doors can stay open and you still can't see the patient. I was like, everybody step out. Let me just talk to this guy. And so I was talking to him. He's like, listen, man, like, can I go home? Like just very frustrated. I'm like, no, you can't go home. You're not going home. You know? And like, he went into an absolute, he was handcuffed. He went into an absolute rage and like stood up from the bed and like just started screaming this, like, I mean, just rageful scream. And it was just me and him in the room. And like, so three security guards, like it was like in a movie, like pulled the curtain away. One of them grabbed the guy. The other one like pushed me up against the wall to like get me out of the way. 
like crazy stuff. Like it didn't bother me. Like it doesn't, it doesn't bother me for like people to get aggressive. Like if somebody's going to be an asshole, like I'll, I have no problem being an asshole back. But like, unfortunately people that are acutely psychotic, like you can't, you've got to think about that differently. Like you can't be, you can't, treat some people the same as others. Right. So, um, so he, he tried to attack me, I guess. I don't know. That's the most recent case. Um, there was another case like, uh, you know, again, when I was attacked where there was a guy that was irate and that took six of us to hold him down. And it was me on one side of the patient and another attack who's a friend of mine on the other side of the patient and the patient like leaned up to like bite my friend, like on the face or my friend, my coworker. Well, he's my friend, you know, order friend I guess bite him on the face and so I <laughs> you know like held I restrained his head back to the bed before he could bite him but you know like nurses all the time they get kicked and you know spit on and you know yeah people aren't people aren't nice all the time unfortunately but you just gotta you know hospitals typically have security that'll help keep you safe if you're ever uncomfortable with a patient even like now with people that are getting healthcare experience hours now, like even if you don't feel comfortable with the patient now, like utilize security and make sure that you're not alone with somebody. But I've never been punched. One doc that I've, that I worked with got punched in a shift. Um, but you just got to keep your wits about you. You know, don't put yourself in a position to get punched either. Like if somebody's, if somebody, if somebody is not getting, if you're not giving them what they want, like if somebody's coming in for like narcotics, like just the other day, somebody came into the hospital. He comes in every like three days, came into the hospital wanting narcotics. And I told him like, no, like we can't do that. That's not part of your care plan. I can't give you narcotics. And he was like, well, let me talk to your doctor. So I was like, okay. We're going to the and tell him exactly the same well, thing. Yeah. And for the doc, so I told the doc and she's like, oh God, I don't feel comfortable going in there. I was like, well, I'll go in with you. I don't care. But like she said, last time he was there, she went in alone and he was shouting at her. And so like she felt threatened. And so I went in there with her and, you know, he was frustrated and I ended up leaving. But, um, but yeah, it's, you just can't put yourself in. She knew like she didn't want to put herself in a position to get put in trouble. So, yeah. um, and you never know, like there was one person that came in, like that had a gun on him, like at the, the old trauma center, like they came in for, I think like suicidal thoughts or something and they had a gun in their bag and it's like, holy shit, like this, you know, could have been bad for everybody. Like you just don't know. You just got to be careful. So it's part of the, part of the job, but like you, I hate to say that, but like, it's, it's a risk. Like working in the ER is a personal risk. Working in healthcare in general is a personal risk, but especially the ER, like, you know, you see on TV, like TV shows where people come into the ER and start shooting up the place. Like, that, shit, that stuff happens like in, you know, big metro areas, like gang related stuff. There was when I worked on a ambulance, one of my coworkers was telling me a story about how they went out to a call um, like in a bad part of town. And they um, it was somebody it was a person that was found down in a parking lot that had been shot. And so the ambulance pulls up and like get out of the truck and start giving this guy CPR. And then a bunch of people were surrounding them. And somebody from the crowd was like, are you going to be able to save them? And the paramedic was like, yeah, we're doing the best we can. So then the guy pulled out a gun and shot the guy that was on the ground that had been shot a couple of times. And then so we're like, forget it, you know. Yeah. Um, but like healthcare in and of itself is is a risk. Um, yeah. But like life is a risk. Like you go to Target one day and 
get yeah. shot, you know, like. Well, and I mean, like you said, being aware and like that's so like I'm in a room sometimes with patients by myself. Um, but like, I mean, I always have my cell phone, have my watch. I know where the door is. Type mm-hmm. of like um, there was a derm office in Gainesville, Georgia, where we are. Um or like a couple hours from where I am that um, had someone come in and take everyone in there hostage because they were um, a psychiatric patient having delusions and weren't getting the answers they wanted and were very angry at the office. Um, And so they came in and, and took, they were able to get all the patients out, but took basically the staff hostage and like scary. And it made us like reevaluate some of our procedures and stuff. Um, Cause you just like, I guess the way I think about it is like, honestly, like, I don't know these people, like you, like you don't, you don't know. Right. Them. Um, yeah. And they're, I never like, and it's so crazy because, you know, in the ER, especially like our, our whole focus is to like take care of people, you know, like we like to think of it as a safe place, but like, you know, bad things still happen in the ER. Like there's, you know, there's a statistic about how a certain number of ER patients are, are, uh, victims of trafficking that are there with their like, you know, um, what do you, what do you call the word? Like the, yeah, well the trafficker. Yeah. But like, that's a certain, that's, that's like a statistic is that like traffickers bring sex traffic people into the ERs and stuff. And like our whole goal is to take care of patients, like people the best that we can. Like, that's why I go to work. Like I go to work literally because I want to take care of people, you know? Um, but it's still, there's still risks to it, unfortunately, but there'll always be risks. Like I said, there's risks with everything you do, but right. you just gotta keep your wits about you. Yeah. So look at the questions and see. Yeah, let me. Uh, I'll go through a couple. Do I recommend an ER residency? Um, I think so. All right. So <laughs> the thing with ER residencies, one of my friends did one too. Um, the thing with residencies is that you get more training in the residency. It's like a year or a year and a half or so. You get to do things like central lines and intubations more frequently and, um, you know, more procedures, more workups and stuff. Like, yes, you get to do more hands-on things like that. But even if you do a residency, so like right now, if I had an ER residency, if I did that and I came to work at my facility, I wouldn't get to do most of the things that I learned in the ER residency anyway. So like, at least without going through more like certification through like the hospital and all that, like just more red tape. Um, ER residency is a great option. Like if you get out of school and are having a hard, you want to work in ER and you're having a hard time finding a job in the ER, it's a great option because it'll kind of set you apart from other new grads that want to go work in the ER. It'll give you a year of ER experience, which a lot of um, hospitals take as a minimum requirement to work in their ER. Um, Would I have done one? Am I, you know, upset that I didn't do one? No, I'm glad I didn't do one because I got a job right out of school. But the reason why I got a job right out of school in the ER is because I worked there as a tech beforehand. And so all of you applicants that are, you know, working in healthcare now, like don't burn your bridges because, you know, there's a, there's a chance that you might work there when you get out. You know, they, they knew who I was. And despite me being a new grad, they only take people that have been in the ER for two years, but they knew who I was. They knew I was a hard worker. Um, they had some background on me. And they, you know, they took a shot on me and I hope they think that it was worth it. But, yeah. Sure it was. Um, <laughs> people want to know what, what you think of changing the name of PAs. Um, I really like Praxition, Praxican or whatever. No, um, I don't care either way. I, I think, I think the whole, I don't know. 
just uh, I don't care what you call call me whatever you want. Say yes or no. My vote is no. Yeah, I'm fine with not changing it. If they want to change it, fine. But I'm fine with not changing it. I don't. I don't get upset about being called a physician assistant. I'm not. Me either. That's what I went to school for. If somebody like if I go to work and they're like, "Oh, you're an assistant," I'll be like, "Yeah." Yeah. You know, and that's another thing too. Kind of stemming off of that. What if somebody wants to see a doctor? Then I have them see a doctor. Like, no, I don't. That's fine. Doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I don't mind it at all. Uh, what else? Uh, uh, what procedures do I commonly do? I do a lot of like abscess drainages. I do a lot of laceration repairs. I help with fracture reductions and dislocation reductions, which is like displaced bones. Um, those procedures, what else? Those are the primary ones I do. Aspirations, which is like sucking pus out of or fluid out of a, a wound. Um, those are, I think that's a bulk of the procedures that I do. Um, what was it like adjusting to nights at first? It's just staying up really late and sleeping during the day. It was, it's not too bad. It's just like days. I mean, you know, you're used now. I like if I'm on, if I flip my schedule to days, I, I feel kind of groggy after 48 hours or so just cause my body's like, Hey, why are you flipping around? But if you stay on it, it's not so bad. You just gotta stay up late and you know, for a week or two and you'll be all right. Um, how do I balance family and social life with a night shift schedule? Um, well, I don't have a social life because of coronavirus. So, uh, <laughs> um, but no working nights, like I said, I mean, like I, um, this is stuff like, this is so crazy. This is stuff that I haven't talked about like in a long time. So I'm glad we're doing this. Um, we never talk about our jobs. We I know it's crazy. I know. Yeah. Um, but so like my family life, like I see, like I said, I mean, I see my kids, I spend all afternoon with them. Oh, I eat them. Okay. How about this? How about we go back to you finish your shift at what? Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I finish my shift at 7 AM. Um, yeah. And then I come home and I usually, I usually go to bed. Um, you know, but I'm usually in bed by eight or so, unless I stay up and like, um, you know, if the kids are up or, um, or something or like I'll help with breakfast. Um, but I'll go to bed and my wife will usually get up with the kids. If she's not up by the time I get home, she's up shortly thereafter. And so we kind of chat about, you know, my night at work for about a half hour or so. And then she gets up with the kids and, um, and is with them until, you know, the early afternoon or so when I get up and then we do family things in the afternoon. So we like do family walks or we go, um, for a drive. I mean, like, the things that we do now because of coronavirus are pretty limited. So we either go on a family walk and or get in mommy's van and we drive around for a little while and go like pick up takeout or something. That's pretty much the extent. I started taking my little girl to the grocery store with a mask, my four year old. Um, so that's something <laughs> to look forward to. But so we have dinner and um, and then after dinner, you know, we usually if we have time, we'll, you know, watch an episode of Daniel Tiger or we'll like have a dance party or um, whatever, like play a little bit. And then it's bedtime for the girls. And then um, while my wife is getting them ready for bed, then I'm usually getting ready for work. And then I go to work again. Or if it's my night off, then I'm putting the girls to bed. So like when nights when I work, my wife, her name is Allison uh, for all the chat. And so I'm just saying my wife, Allison will, um, on nights that I work, Allison will put them to bed. And when nights off, I put the girls to bed. Um, so we kind of split it up that way. So I work half the month and so half the work she's putting them to bed and the other half I'm putting them to bed, um, and doing the whole bedtime routine and everything. And then after that, on my nights off, like we hang out 
right now we have been really heavy into watching the old show from the 90s ER uh, because if I'm not working I might as well just watch ER <laughs> so um, but like we you know whatever like we do like the normal thing that everybody else does I'm sure like watch Netflix or movies or whatever and um, that's pretty much the extent so yeah so I'll get off at seven go home sleep and then I'll be up you know early afternoonish or so usually so what else what else we got the ones that put X's behind, beside you've kind of answered, but if you want to look. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, tips for getting an ER job after graduation. Um, so when you're in school, I'm going to take a sip of code for this. So uh, when you're in school, if you know you want to do ER, one thing you can do, depending on the school and depending on how they do their clinical uh, rotations and stuff, um, so preface. So we at my school we had like a little brother, big brother or little sister, whatever program. Like you are a mentor for the class below you. So like the oncoming class, I was assigned a classmate to like kind of act as a mentor and like give them guidance. And um, so he told me that he wanted to do ER. And so I told him, well, when you're setting up your rotations or when when the school is setting up your rotations, you can suggest or like try to find rotations that are more um, catered to emergency medicine. So a lot of schools have, you have eight, you have seven core rotations and then uh, an eighth elective rotation. And so your core rotations are, let me see if I can remember them all, family medicine, internal medicine, psych, OB, um, ER, peds, what's the last one? Surgery. Sur general surgery, right. And then you've got a seventh elective rotation. And so if you know you want to do emergency medicine, you can, you'll do your ER core rotation, which is usually like six weeks or so. ER core rotation, you can do an elective in emergency medicine, which is another six weeks. So that's 12 weeks of ER. And then if you do like your surgery rotation, if you, if it's got like some aspect of like trauma surgery, like trauma surgery instead of like general surgery, you can do that. Or you can go work at a pediatric emergency room for your peds rotation too and get another six weeks of emergency, like experience. And so this guy, what he did was he did his ER rotation that was required. He did his elective rotation uh, in the ER. And then he did his PED. That's what he did. He did his PEDS rotation in a pediatric emergency room. And so before he even graduated from school, he had 18 weeks of emergency medicine experience. And so like when he was applying for ER jobs, he was like, hey, like I know I'm a new grad, but just so you know, like I've got four and a half, five months of emergency medicine rotations already or emergency medicine experience already. So I, cause I know this is what I want to do. Um, so like, that's one way, you know, to, to do it is to get as much experience in school and emergency medicine as you can. Um, but two, like if you really, so when you graduate school, one thing that I was told before I graduated was you can either by and large, not for everybody, right. By and large, you can either pick the, um, pick the specialty that you want to work in or you can choose your location. So like if you, so like with you, Savannah, like if you want to work, I want to be in Augusta, like you can either choose to be in Augusta, like to live there as a new grad, or you can like, and take any, any specialty or you can take any specialty or like, if you want to do ER, like don't count on working and living in Augusta type deal, you know, like as a new grad, it's kind of hard. Um, to have both luxuries, you know, the specialty that you want to work in and then the um, uh, location. So um, it's hard. If you want, 
Huh? What'd you say? Yeah, I think for any new, well, most new grads, you're probably going to have to sacrifice something yeah. in there. But. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Like, you know, one thing, if you want to do emergency medicine, you definitely don't want to go like, I don't know. Like, it, it's it's so hard now. And that's another thing we can talk about, like, before we stop or whatever, um, is like the job market and everything. And everybody's worried that, like, it's too saturated for PAs. But one thing is you don't, if you want to do emergency medicine, like you can either keep looking for an emergency medicine job without any experience. It's going to be hard to get at like in like a big city. So you might have to go like outside the city limits and work at a more rural hospital. So one guy I used to work with just graduated PA school and got a job at a rural hospital ER. And like, that's basically what the job was. They were like, we hire new grads because we know, like we automatically know that you're only going to be here for like a year or two and then you're going to go. Like they just accept that. Um, so you can find a job like that. Um, you can try getting a job at like an urgent care. Um, but like, you gotta be, you don't want to get a job in something like, uh, ortho or pain management or something where you're going to lose your knowledge and your skills and like have a hard time then transferring, transitioning that over to emergency medicine. Like that just makes it a little bit harder, I think. So, um, it's hard. You can talk to recruiters and stuff too and see if they have any openings. You might have to go and like take a locum tenens job, which is like a traveling position somewhere in Iowa or something um, for a short contract just to gain experience. Um, or like I said, just work at a smaller county hospital. Um, like I said, I know I was very fortunate. I got a job at the place that I used to work at. But um, regarding the job market for PAs and stuff, um, I think it's fine. Like, Right now with all this coronavirus mess, like it has been tough. There have been PAs that lost their job and like got cut hours and everything. I think it's very, very dependent on like the region that you live in. Um, some regions have been a lot more affected than others. Um, you know, another thing is that jobs for PAs aren't always posted on like Indeed or, you know, monster.com that still exists. Um, a lot of jobs that you get as PAs come through like word of mouth. So like people that you either went to school with or that you know uh, from like your healthcare experience or whatever, like they, they aren't posted on one of those websites or like even, you know, because a lot of jobs as PAs are through physician groups, not through hospital groups. And so like, unless you know the name of the physician group, like I have, I'm not a hospital employee. I haven't been a hospital employee. Um, and so, like, if I went on the hospital website, I wouldn't find a job for a PA in the ER because the ER isn't staffed by the hospital. It's staffed by a physician group. So, um, so yeah, so just because you don't see a bunch of job openings on, like, the public websites and everything, that doesn't mean they don't exist. So when you get out, another uh, – I'm just going back and forth. Um, but when you get out, um, too, what you can do is, like, send your resume out to physician groups. Like, if you learn – so, um, like, big physician groups like Apollo, Kaiser, um, and uh, other big, you know, multi-state or national groups – you can send your resume out to them and just, you know, be like, Hey, here's my resume or send it to the hospital physician group. Like, here's my resume. I'm interested in, you know, joining as a PA or whatever. That's another way if they have an opening that hasn't been posted, um, you can try and get a job too. So like my job that I have now wasn't posted publicly. I heard of it. I heard about it from somebody um, that I knew. So. Yeah. I was offered a job on my ER rotation and they weren't like publicly hiring. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then both of the jobs I've had, neither one were posted jobs. Yeah. Um, can we talk about burnout? Sure. How much time you got? Like three more hours? 
<laughs> we might burn out if you take that long. Yeah. Um, I think ER burnout is, is a real thing. Um, there's a PA, um, Harrison Reed that did, he did an article in like JAP or something, didn't he on burnout? Does he do ER? No. Well, he's academic now. I don't know. I don't know what his practice is. I don't know if he used to, yeah. But Harrison Reed, he um, he writes articles for JAPA, which is the journal for the AAPA. If you're an AAPA member, you'll get um, the JAPA uh, magazine. Um, but I think I think burnout is very real um, in the ER and like a lot of specialties too. Like a lot is um, do I? I mean, like I yeah, I experienced. When, I want to know like when you felt like you started to feel burnt out? I think it depends on the day though. Like I'll go, I'll go through, um, you know, like I'll go in and out just kind of depending on like if I've worked like five days in a row, like by the end of that stretch, I'm kind of like, I'm a little less friendly. Like at the end of my shift, I'm a lot less cheery than I am at the beginning of my shift too. And like, that's just, I'm just kind of ready to go home and get out of there. I feel less burnout now than I did working at the trauma center. Um, so I worked at the trauma center for four years and, uh, it was a great job. I loved it. I loved everybody that I worked with, but after seeing like so many, like, and like kind of, kind of like I mentioned before, like gunshot wounds and like stabbings and traumatic car accidents and like kid, like pediatric trauma and arrests and stuff like that kind of stuff takes a toll on you. Um, and like, I'm fine. Thanks therapy. No, um, <laughs> um, no, but seriously, like that kind of stuff takes a toll on you after a while. I didn't feel like I was burnt out at the trauma center, but now that I left and kind of looking back on it, um, I think that I kind of was like to a certain extent, like my personality is totally different. I think at this new job or I've been here for two years now or over two years. Um, versus the, like at the end of my job at the other place, just because I don't see that terrible stuff anymore um, or, you know, nearly as much. Like we still get gunshot wounds every once in a while, but it's not every day. And um, so, but I did it before as a tech too, you know, as, a, as an ER tech, I worked in the ER at the trauma center. And so like, it was just seeing a lot of that stuff. And um, I think that some people it doesn't bother nearly as much or that it doesn't affect them nearly as much, but even now, I mean, you still have rough shifts now, even if it's not trauma, it's just sick, sick freaking people, man. Like, and it's the burden of, I think, just healthcare. Yeah. Well, um, because that's what me and I have three like best friends from PA school, and two of them are in derm, and one is in, um, she was in vascular surgery originally. Now she's on in like, um, oncology, like mm -hmm. a oncology practice. And so, when we went to AAPA last year, um, Shelly, who was with me, um, mm -hmm. like we talked a lot just about, and there were a lot of good lectures about burnout there. Mm -hmm. um, Cause at that point we were both about five years out of school and like really, really, really feeling it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's hard to like, and not to like, like I know you're a dad and stuff like as a mom, like it's very difficult to feel like you're having to manage a lot of different things. Sure. Yeah. And like managing a household and being a good mom and being a good PA and like, yeah, 
that was where I was at last summer where I told my husband, I was like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything well. Like I'm barely doing all of these things and none of them are getting done well. Like at work, I'm thinking about home at home. I'm thinking about work. Like I'm frustrated everywhere. And so I think like switching jobs like you did, like that has helped a lot, but um, the PA community is also just very supportive um, of each other. And I think that, that's very helpful too. Yeah. But I don't think you should go into medicine with like rose colored glasses thinking it's all easy and great. Cause there's, there's yeah. a lot of hard stuff. Well, I remember, I mean, just like looking back, right. When, when I first started, I mean, everything was just so cool. I mean, like going home and like talking about what I did in the ER today, whereas now you don't get that same feeling and that's not burnout. I don't think, I think it's just, you get kind of desensitized because you see it all the time. Yeah. Um, I think burnout is more just like, I don't know, more personal, like um, kind of along the lines of like almost like a, a feeling of frustration and um, inadequacy, like to a certain extent, like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like a snowball effect. Like it just, it, it keeps, it can keep growing on you. But I think it's important to be mindful of that regardless of what your job is now. I mean, even as, you know, pre PAs working as like CNAs or in a, you know, a doc's office as an MA or whatever, you can get burned out doing anything, but it's important to just kind of take a step back and realize like how fortunate and lucky you are um, for, having a job, first of all, but like two, getting to do something where you are able to have an effect on um, people that you don't know. Like people are genuinely, you know, by and large, people are genuinely thankful for the job that you do, both as PAs and like even beforehand. I mean, you know, even if they don't say it, you know, I don't remember the last time I was like thanked, you know, for like the job that I do, you know, like, um, which is fine. Like, I don't expect that. Like, I don't, I'm, it's, it's, I don't go to work like expecting me to be thanked, but like, I know that people are thankful for um, what me and what everybody at the hospital does. And even, like I said, I mean, even as pre PAs, like the stuff that that chat is doing right now is like, you're truly making a difference in people's lives. Like what you're doing, regardless of what you're doing now, hell you could, you could like, like I said, I mean, be working as a, MA or a CNA or a ophthalmology tech or, you know, physical therapy aid or whatever, like you, you, at some extent you're making a difference in somebody's lives. And that's, what's important, like, is keeping that in mind. And so on days where I get frustrated, like I had a bad day at work or, you know, I go home and like, I don't want to go back to work the next day or whatever. I constantly try to like, like I said, take a step back and realize like how lucky and thankful and fortunate I am to like be in this position um, despite my bad day. Like everybody has bad days, but um, that goes with everything in, in, in life too, right? Like you just got to be as thankful as possible um, with everything that you're provided with one way or another. So, yeah. And I think even like you're, you're impacting patients lives, but also like, the people you work with and your coworkers. That was when the only really thing that kept me going at my old office was my medical assistant, just because she was so amazing and so positive and so encouraging that when she saw how frustrated I was with things, she helped me a lot. And so, 
Um, I think like you can look for those opportunities. Too. Well, a lot of it, and yeah. Like, and that's, I mean, like, you know, and, and I also very, very strongly believe after making some changes that if you are not happy somewhere or you're not being valued or worse, you're really being used. Um, yeah. It's, you, you can make those changes in your life because it's not worth being completely unhappy. Either. Right. Yeah. I feel like we could literally talk for we could literally talk about burnout forever and just like the problems with medicine and healthcare and yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we should. So but, yeah. Um, I think I went through all of the, um, or most of the questions. Yeah, you touched on. Oh, I think we. I think. I think after listening to this and watching this, people should have a very good understanding of what your job is. Yeah, I hope so. And if people like have additional questions, like one, we could do this again. I wouldn't mind. Um, but like, they can reach out to. Um, I'm on. <laughs> I'm on Instagram at you know the my pay resource handle. If you don't, I put it in the chat. Okay. Cool. All right. Um. So people can find you. Okay. All right. I'll post, well, I post your handle a lot. So I'm probably going to post it again tonight. But oh, we're going to do the poll. Do the poll where uh, we yeah. figure out if people have applied or if they haven't, um, or if they're applying next year, just so we can kind of get an idea of where everybody's at in the process. Uh, people are asking why PA over NP. So when I was going through, while you're figuring that out, I'll, I'll answer this question because I've seen a couple. Um, so I got my degree in microbiology, my undergrad degree in microbiology from the University of Tennessee. Um, and um, when I graduated, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to work in a lab, but I didn't. I hated it. Um, and so I was trying to figure out, I knew I wanted to work in healthcare doing something. I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but I you know, couldn't because of my grades, um, which is a whole nother um, video session. Um, so I was trying to figure out what I, what I could do. And so I looked at the nurse practitioner program, right? So they have a bridge program. Some places have bridge programs where people that get their, um, bachelor's degree in, in any subject can go and take a three-year bridge program where you get your, like, I think RN and or BSN and NP. I don't know if those still exist, but I looked at doing that. Um, but then I looked at the PA profession. I was like, well, why go to, why go through that process if I could just be a PA instead? So um, the jobs are very different, which I didn't realize back then, um, or at least not the jobs, but the training is very different. Um, at least it was back then. And uh, but either way, like now I work with plenty of NPs and PAs and like you wouldn't know the difference between between us working in the ER. So um, we get to do the same things now. Yeah. And in Georgia. PAs and NPs are very similar in what we're able to do. Yeah. Um, so it looks like about half are applying now and then okay. like 33% next year and then 20% in two to four years. Gotcha. Okay, cool. All good, All good stuff. Um, oh, I need to announce the next one. Um, oh, yeah. So people say you should do a podcast with me. <laughs> We did, we did one like two years ago. We should do an updated one. When was the yeah, I think I'm on like once a year. Like it probably yeah. is fine though. So yeah, Brian, I have a podcast called the Pre-PA Club and Brian is on it sometimes. I forget. This will, yeah. I'll, I'll post this on there in the next few months. Like so people who yeah. want to listen. But we did um, a statement one. And then we did, well, I forget what the second one we did was. I don't remember either. We, we may have done two personal statement ones. Oh, okay. 
but I don't, I don't remember either. So I'm not sure. Um, but let me pull up my calendar, um, and grab the link. So the next, that is not my calendar. Um, the next, uh, virtual shadowing event, which I'm very excited about is with a PA, um, named Tony, who is in Sacramento, um, California, and he is, he went to, um, USC Keck School of Medicine. Um, he's been a PA for about a year. Um, he went, fun fact, he went to PA school with his twin brother, which I think is kind of cool. Um, but they were in the same class together, but, um, he does family medicine and street medicine. So we actually talked today and he did a podcast interview, um, which I'll be posting on the podcast next Friday, um, about his job. But like, even I had so many more questions and wanted to know more because it sounds like number one, his passion for what he does is like contagious and so cool. It's like Um, art. Huh? Like ours. Yeah, like ours. No, but like <laughs> you're so cool. Um, so anyway, so his like passion is like he and just his involvement and everything with this organization that he's actually started is so cool. Um, so he's gonna be talking about that on September 10th, which is also a Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, and so I'm gonna post a link. So we are doing this as a fundraising event for Sacramento oh, cool. Street Med. Um, so it's $5 if you want to either watch it live or have the replay and all of the proceeds, profits, whatever you want to call it, is going straight to their startup because they are um, kind of, I mean, they're, they're already doing outreach. We'll talk yeah, about awesome. opportunities, ways to get involved, but um, like it's, it's really cool. And so like, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. How talks like you'll hear if you listen to the podcast or if you come to it but like talks about um what he calls people who are experiencing homelessness or um people without homes like for oh yeah interesting who live outside like even from this talk like i learned so much like you don't call people homeless people like right right or and just hearing about you know i don't know he got into a bunch of stuff about like just kind of the the mindset of taking care of of different kinds of populations. Um, so, but let me find that link real quick and, um, then we will get you all set up. And if anyone wants to do that and then I'll send out the replay information too. So Um, this was fun. Yeah. It's like talk about your job right yeah yeah well and thanks everybody for like submitting questions and stuff because if it weren't for the questions i would have just rambled on about some nonsense and you know which is which probably would have been entertaining anyway but um but i appreciate y'all listening and being involved and active in chat yeah i'll put it up here all right well y'all are awesome um If you have any questions, send them to us on social media. Yeah, follow. I'm on the at my PA resource, and Savannah's is at the PA platform. Yep. All right. Thanks, y'all. All All right. See you guys. Thanks, Brian. See ya. Thanks.